Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter. This is a DLF podcast. Um, this week I spoke with Pat Corain about rookies, ranks, how to win, how to approach Dynasty, and everything in between. It was a really fun conversation where I think he really framed how to play Dynasty um, very well while also dropping some really good rookie ranks and takes. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so let's go talk to Pat um, after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, Ken Moody here from Dynasty League Football. Just letting you know that this podcast is sponsored by League Tycoon. If you play in a contract Dynasty League, or have ever thought about joining a contract league, but you are worried that it would be too much work, then you will want to check out League Tycoon. League Tycoon has perfected a platform for fantasy football salary cap and contract leagues. Leagues are super easy to set up, and they offer a ton of configuration and management options. League Tycoon's mobile app makes managing your team easy. In fact, their mobile app may be the best fantasy league mobile app in the industry. It's feature-rich, easy to navigate, and doesn't have a lot of distracting features to take away from the pure fantasy football experience. So go to LeagueTycoon.com to get more information and download the app. And if you use the promo code DLF when creating a league, your first year is absolutely free. League Tycoon makes Dynasty Contract Leagues easy and fun, and it will change the way you play fantasy football. That's LeagueTycoon.com. Go check them out. All right, so uh, the usual question I start with is like, uh, who are you and what do you do? But that's silly, and I've replaced it with how do you play Dynasty? But you mostly play, well, not mostly. Uh, uh, you can explain it better, but uh, you've done a lot of Dynasty, but you're heavily involved in DFS and more best ball leagues now. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I I play everything. So um, I, do, I do Dynasty, I do DFS, I do best ball. Uh, I do high stakes leagues with the ship chasing guys. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, dynasty is kind of how I got like obsessed with fantasy football. I was in, you know, some kind of more traditional uh, redraft leagues and uh, one of those converted to a dynasty league. And mm -hmm. I just kind of like went down the rabbit hole and started joining some, uh, you know, like medium stakes, public dynasty leagues. And that was like a real uh, kind of, I, I learned a lot through trial and error um, in those leagues and some like real lessons learned um, in there. And then uh, I still, I'm still in those leagues that I joined then. And I'm, I mean, I'm in, I pretty should probably start scaling back my dynasty leagues, but I'm, I don't know. I'm in over a, I'm probably in over a dozen dynasty leagues still. So it is a pretty big part of what I, what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't imagine there's much about fantasy that you don't or are unaware of. Um, but I, I, I wanted to give some kind of background because you recently uh, suffered. I was going to say suffered, but that, I don't know why I went to that uh, particular <laughs> adjective. But achieved uh, a tremendous victory in a best ball league for underdog, right? That's right. Yeah, I, I won um, best ball mania three uh, in January. So that has allowed me to um, start my own site. I left NBC and started Legendary Upside. And so all my content is on uh, on that site. I launched a podcast over there. Um, so doing it's been it's been cool. I've been doing a lot of stuff on the rookies, a lot of content that I kind of had done for NBC previously in terms of the rookie right. um, profiles and everything like the type of work that if people are familiar with me, that they're they're kind of gotten used to. But 
I just have more time to kind of dive in and do research and um, think about all these game formats. Uh, I don't have any any more news shifts. That's fair. And, <laughs> and obviously, in true fashion, I'll just ignore the a tremendous best ball accomplishment. Unless, and that's actually a question I've heard Zach read from the Dynasty Dummies and other people talk about how they try to use DFS content or best ball content in Dynasty. Is there anything like to do with your win or to do with how you play best ball you think is directly applicable? You'd know better than most. So you're probably the person. I just think that you're, we're like, these are games we're playing, and Dynasty is, you know, just a game like we it's it's a very fun game and it's a game that i think makes you feel like you're a bit more of like a general manager than you know if you just have a a redraft team you can kind of have that feeling of being right on a guy and then you know years later at paying huge dividends and um that's just it's just like a very fun and appealing part of the dynasty game but i do think that Mm. you know you play DFS and I think DFS maybe even more than best ball because you get so much feedback. It's like you're playing a game and then the game ends and then you play a game the next week and the game ends. And so you're getting a lot of feedback about your own play in, and you're getting in more reps that way. And yeah, it's a very different game than dynasty, but I think you're kind of learning what is working, what isn't working um, in terms of like strategies and just a constant reminder of, we are trying to play a game using, real life player stats but they there's still kind of edges to that game that we want to be looking at and you know in dynasty to me the big one that's come up is that this is a market you have to play dynasty like it's a market because uh a lot of like when i was really getting into dynasty a lot of it was about you know three-year production windows and you know trying to game out like what a guy's gonna do you know two or three years down the line and i don't think we can predict that like at all. So my thing is like, I'm going to try to predict what this guy is going to do this year. And then I'm going to try and have a good understanding of what his range of outcomes is likely to do to his trade value. So, Oh, this guy's a high ankle sprain away from being absolutely untradeable. That's not great. You know, maybe (laughs) I can move. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I could move into a guy who's actually going to be highly desirable. If, even if he misses half the season due to injury and the production is about the same, you know, or, you know, there's or you can catch you can get on the other side where it's like this. Neither of these players are likely to have a ton of trade value unless something crazy happens. But this one, this older veteran guy is likely to be far more productive than, hmm. you know, this other kind of lotto ticket youth guy. So it doesn't always have to be about fading veterans. It can sometimes be about acquiring them. But I just think the um, like I called this one hasn't aged particularly well. I called CD Lamb a sell high or a or a. Actually, I didn't call him a sell high. I called him like a win now piece entering last right. season. Because I was like, if he doesn't do it, he's losing a ton of value. And he kind of did it. And so it worked out. But I also, you know, I was going to say he kind of did it. Like I called him as like a top 12 breakout. And he technically did that, but it didn't feel great. <laughs> did yeah, you take anything so away from that? Yeah. I mean, I think what it showed you is how, how risky he was. CD Lamb right. was a really risky buy last year because. He was being priced like he was going to break out in dynasty. He was being priced like he was definitely going to break out and he kind of did break out and you didn't gain a lot from it. You know, he had a good season, productive season was definitely helpful, but his trade value is like, I don't know. It hasn't, he hasn't gone to the moon, you know, because it was kind of already being priced in. And so I think kind of there. Yeah. That was a difficult part. We liked him, but at the same time, most of the trades were like, no, I mean, you can go get Jalen Waddle. You can go get, 
Amon Ross St. Brown. And it yep. tends to be a little easier. Like uh, people love CD Lamb. Speaking of, you know, not to get you off that point, if you have more to say, just go. I don't mean to interrupt uh, you at all. But um, it is rookie season right now. And I guess that's less DFS and best ball relevant. But I know you do a lot of work with it on your new site. Um, what are your initial it's more draft it's more best ball relevant than ever you know they yeah. these best ball <laughs> tournaments these last two years especially yeah yeah i mean you know i did like um i think i had about 80 drafts in before the nfl 80 best ball drafts before the nfl draft so hmm. you got to wow. know your rookies <laughs> <laughs> i i would say that's actually the the way that best balls helped me the most with dynasty is that like there's there's tournaments with serious money up top and it's like, all right, like let's, let's actually start to think through not just the overall profiles, but like how these guys are going to produce, produce in year one, which obviously has huge dynasty implications as well. Um, yeah. One guy like Jonathan Mingo is a guy that's kind of um, I'm thinking about him maybe a little differently than I would have thought of if I wasn't playing so much best ball, because just thinking about, you know, the fact that the Panthers took him so high and mm-hmm. they, there's really no target competition there. I'm like, I think I could see him in best ball, people getting excited, him him jumping up into the, you know, the ninth round of drafts and people just seeing the targets and seeing the size and seeing the athleticism. And I don't really want to pay that price in best ball, but it does make me mm-hmm. think like if I take him in dynasty – I'm probably going to get out at a decent price. Like I can probably see what he has and maybe he can, maybe he can be kind of a Michael Pittman type in that offense. And that's, that's a huge yeah, win. Where he's, the, going. he's somewhat of a, he feels somewhat of a draft capital trap in dynasty, but to your point, like especially over recent years, um, there's, there are windows, right? Uh, know your market. There's windows. Your point. And so he's going to yes. do something. He's athletic. He's good. He's drafted high. They're going to give him opportunity, and there's there's a very decent chance he impresses on a target or a play or a game or even multiple. Um, and you know, just uh, that gives you an opportunity to not get out, but uh, explore your market uh, to your well, point. or get I out because I do th- I do think he's probably a trap, but you never know. Um, but you know, you can. Depending on on your league, you got to have an active trade market if you're going to make those type of plays. If you don't have an active trade market, I would just take the guy you think's better. I also, uh, for my part, like I don't make many of those plays because I'm not. I don't think I'm a strong trader. I like making trades and I try. But uh, my other point about that I try to make about that is, go you know yourself. Like you, you have to know yeah. your league. To your point, that's an even better point. But also, if you know you struggle to get moves done quickly, or like I do. Um, that comes into it as well, but it's definitely something you should keep in mind. Um, a lot of questions from right there, like why I know why I said it, I guess I have ideas, but why do you think he is probably a draft trap? Is it just the production itself, or do you do a more of film? I'm looking at production metrics and those types of things, and he just doesn't really, he doesn't it's have like what you're that. looking for, yeah. But I, you know, generally, the guys who surprise us are you know, from big time programs with size um, or athleticism or both, you know, your, your Michael Thomas's, your Terry McLaurin's like, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be one of these all time outlier guys. Like this isn't a cohort of dudes. That's really that great to bet on, but he is still pretty cheap. 
you know, with yeah, that draft yeah. capital, he's pretty cheap Dynasty for the draft capital. Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're going to get that. I, I think like having some exposure to him at the price makes sense. Like it does seem like it's, it's mostly upside now. I think that's definitely fair. Um, you talked about this crop of guys and there's a general feeling of disappointment with this class. I feel like, uh, and I still kind of like it. And um, we have been blessed. Like we were seriously uh, lucky um, over the last couple of years with rookie production, especially to your point, you got to know rookies in baseball. Um, do you think that's a trend that's going to continue or is this a product of the last two classes or the NFL or do you have lower expectations this year um, for those reasons or is it the players themselves? Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. it's okay. definitely a, a bit of a disappointing class, especially relative to recent classes. Um, JJ Zacharyson had a, a tweet uh, talking about how this was really – um i this was he tweeted this out like i think in march but he was saying like you know yeah this isn't necessarily a bad wide receiver class it's that the last three have been awesome and this is kind yeah. of like what what Fair. we had before that and i i completely agree with that i think this class isn't terrible but it's going to feel terrible you know because of what we got used to and may, maybe you know, after the draft, I feel like the wide receiver class feels a little bit better because we did at least get the four wide receivers in the first round. We got Mingo pretty high. Marvin Mims, who I like, goes in the second round. So I actually feel a little bit better about the wide receiver class. The running back class feels like it's really tough outside of Bijan and Gibbs because um, Charbonnet gets the tough landing spot, even though he had draft capital. A-Chain gets a good landing spot, but didn't have like a ton of draft capital. And, yeah, you, um, you find yourself leaning on like a third round running back and is that better than a first round tight end or the undrafted free agent right. that just found the right landing spot? And that's not normally what we like. That's not, <laughs> yeah. that's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love Dizzy Abanacanda and he's, you know, fourth round right? behind Brees Hall. So it's like, it's it's a tough year. The running back class is not all that exciting, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, I don't mind where Roshan Johnson ended up, but again, lower draft capital, still got to wonder what's going to happen with that. Still a smaller sample in college. Um, yep. I also think part of that is uh, just what this wide receiver class or this class does well. Uh, how to say it? it? It's not what we like to enjoy. Like there's a lot of slot receivers that are exceptional at being slot receivers, but that doesn't always turn out to be the highest fantasy upside. And um, there's not so many Jamar chases as a couple uh, well, there's at least one Amara St. Brown who fell in the, his own draft. So, yeah, I think that's part of it as well. Um, is there anyone yeah. that really stand? You said Marvin Mims. I think that's a, a fantastic landing spot with that production profile. I, I think he's target this year for a lot. Yeah, I like Mims a lot. Um, he's someone that I was worried about. He felt, you know, I, I was kind of into Seth Williams before the draft <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, so I'm always kind of like, don't. Don't do it. Don't, don't know the guy I like. <laughs> Just draft him, please. Um, but, you know, he, he went in the second round. Sean Payton traded up for him. Uh, I was grinding some of the press conferences after the draft, and Payton had this amazing quote where he was saying, some of the guys in this class, it looked like they were driving in rush hour traffic. It was, you know, they're driving Monday to, through Friday. And when you put on the MIMS tape, it was Saturday and Sunday. You know, he was, he was open. It was different. <laughs> So I was like, all right, I like hearing there, that, you know, from John I'll take Payton. that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he's a bit undersized, uh, 183, uh, but he's got, he's legit fast, 438, um, mm -hmm. very productive, uh, just like a really overall pretty strong profile. So um, I had him 
like at like the 110 in my Superflex rankings. And uh, I had Jacob Sanderson on my podcast earlier this week, and he he talked me down. He, he said, you got to have him behind the tight end. So it's, it's tight end premium ranks. So you got to put him behind him. So I said, fine. But I, I love Marvin Mims. I'm I'm very excited about, in about him. Premium, maybe, but I think a late first on Mims. He's not, we, I don't have ADP yet. There's not enough mock draftsmen done. I know a few people simulate it. Um, so I'm using basically ranks as a synonym for it. And he's going mm-hmm. uh, like early second. Uh, and I think I, I don't mind him early first, non-tight end premium. Um, but the tight ends yeah. in this class are really interesting. Like uh, they are important. They are. Yeah, they're super interesting. I have them all grouped. The um, When I say all, I mean uh, the three guys who got capital, uh, high capital, Kincaid, Laporta, mm-hmm. and Mayer. Um I, I liked Laporta a lot. And this is like, this is one thing, if I'm going to make a pitch for best ball for the, for the dynasty yeah. people out there, Sam Laporta was completely undrafted early on. I had Justin Herzig who won best ball mania uh, one tweeted at me saying, what is a Laporta? The first time that I drafted <laughs> Sam, Sam Laporta. So, so there is, there's like definitely an edge to just knowing the rookie class. Uh, cause I think a lot of people are kind of going off of, you know, what they've heard about the top of the class, but if you've got right. some guys you like as deep sleepers and he's been one the whole way, because I think he's really strong after the catch. And it really feels like he hit he is here. a perfect landing spot. He's not a, a seam stretcher the way Dalton Kincaid is. He's more of an underneath guy, but he's really good after the catch. I mean, Jared Goff and, and that offense is kind of the perfect spot for him to be in. So I'm excited about him. I, I like mayor. Mayor's a good blocker. Sometimes people don't like to hear that about tight ends, but he's going to be on the field. He's going to be he's going to be out there getting snaps. He's going to get opportunities right away. Um, and so I think he he probably like I think he'll probably immediately pass Austin Hooper or very quickly. I think he could be more productive than you'd expect for a rookie tight end. And then uh, um, yeah, I mean Kincaid's pretty exciting too on the Bills, obviously. That's. Like I was asking about opinions for tight ends during the draft, and I find it, considering it's a really interesting class, and everyone notices that. Like I find it remarkably difficult to extract an excited opinion on like the tight end one drafted. What do you think about these tight ends? Obviously, you just expressed some things, but like, who's the tight end one? Is it Dalton Kincaid? He's got first round draft capital. The best tight ends don't all have that, but it's definitely it's not negative. No, it's definitely not negative. I Mayor was my tight end one most of the way but i eventually i kind of came around towards the end going you know the point of drafting these tight ends is that you're hoping you hit a you know a massive home run with with one of these guys you're hoping you hit the guy that like you laugh when people try to trade for him from you and kincaid even before the draft i was like he actually does look like a better he has a better chance of becoming that guy than Michael Mayer because Mayer's not that athletic. You know, he's, he's definitely athletic, but um, well, I, he's not like super unathletic. He's athletic enough. He's like yeah. Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz level athletic. So he I is like, su- well, I, you know, he, he's sufficiently athletic for an NFL tight end, but it's not a strength of his. And uh, Kincaid, we don't know about his athleticism, but he is more of a seam stretcher, more of a big wide receiver type of guy. Um, and so now that he is on the Bills, it's like if one of these guys is going to turn into a superstar, it feels like it's more likely to be Kincaid. But I have them. Uh, I've got Kincaid, Kincaid 10th, Mayor 11th, and Laporta 12th. 
um, in my tight end premium ranks, I would have no problem if you were like, I'm going Laporta. Yeah, um, I had Maya, Maya, sorry, uh, tight end one, just because I assume the NFL would love him. He's a better all-around tight end, right? Um, I, but he's like a, what did I say? Um, he's a tight end snooze button. Like, it, he, he, he takes, <laughs> takes the boxes. It's like, think of him as Jason Witten. You've got no complaints, yeah. but he's not that guy, that guy. I, although he had a few top five seasons and like 10 years of top 12 seasons or so. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're on the same page exactly. Um, so Kincaid was one pre-draft, you said, and presumably that followed through. Um, and you think he can be more productive year one than most tight ends. I think that's really interesting. Um, I have a good idea where you have Laporta in that mix. Dalton Kincaid, tight end one, where are you at mile versus Laporta? Is one high, very highly above the other or not? No, they're all three together. So it's Kincaid, Mayer, and Porta, yeah. Laporta, 10, 11, 12 for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, Laporta doesn't block well. That's oh, okay. that's one issue with him. Um, he rated very poorly in PFF's uh, run blocking grades. So that's uh, uh, definitely a red flag in terms of his ability to get on the field. Um, we've also seen the Lions like sour pretty quickly on DeAndre Swift when he's not doing what he's supposed to do. So I, I'm i a little bit worried about that Like as far as the, the floor goes. But I think he's got a really, really high ceiling. Um, again, just because he's in such a good situation. Uh, for, you know, who knows what they're going to get out of Jameson Williams now. Um, and there's really no clear wider or clear number two target in that offense behind Amon Ross St. Brown if it's not Williams. And again, Jared Goff, he, he likes to throw short. He really likes to throw short. So I think Laporta as the yards after catch guy is in a is in a great spot. Um, but yeah, I think if anything, it almost feels like Mayer's the kind of the forgotten man now where it does, right? Yeah. yeah. I agree with you about the Witten thing and Greg Olson. But I think Mark yeah. Andrews is, is, is a yeah. yeah. They're all I mean, but those guys like those guys were rare. They weren't they weren't Jimmy Graham, but they were also rare. So I if you're getting like a little bit of a discount on Mayor right now, I'm I'm into that too. It's those three are kind of we feel kind of rich at tight end right now between uh, Dallas Goddard and TJ Hawkinson. And I like Pat Ferramuth a lot. I do And too. then we've got these rookies coming in that we all like. Yeah, it's a pretty cool tight end landscape right now. But again, back to your point, which I think is the main one to keep in mind in tight end. While they're rare and we definitely should draft these tight ends, like there's very few that are hitting big, uh, I think is the way you said it, the, the home yeah. run hits. But I mean, it's always worth it. Um, especially in this draft class. I, I think the the wild card for this draft class was uh, uh, Donald Washington. Looks like he's definitely drafted because he's a huge human being who's very good at blocking, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we, we had some hopes. Was there anyone, um, is he or anyone else deeper down the class a little interesting? I just noticed the guy I thought was interesting isn't currently being drafted by DLF Rankers. So uh, it made me think of it. So I think the... No one's going to enjoy drafting Luke Musgrave or Tucker Craft. Um, and I had Musgrave was much higher in kind of the pre draft assessment. I wasn't as into him. He kind of just flashed very briefly in his final season. It was like only a couple of games where he really ever did anything. Um, yeah. So I, I have him 24th, and then I have Tucker Craft one spot behind him 25th. And I, I, I assume that Craft, who's the smaller school guy and had less hype ahead of the draft, uh, and was drafted second by the Packers uh, behind Musgrave will be, you know, cheaper to acquire. That, that would only be logical. But 
I honestly think they just like took two cracks at it. They're just like, we want to find a tight end for our young quarterback. We're taking two cracks. They, the way they were talking about these guys is they, they were basically, they were kind of duplicates. They're like, both of these guys can do everything. Hmm. Um, they can play in line They're They don't necessarily view them as, you know, one guy's going to be the move tight end and one guy's the inline tight end. I think they're probably in a competition with each other. Musgrave's more of a field uh, seam stretcher and Kraft is more of a yards after catch guy, but who's better? I don't, I don't think we know, but so Kraft I think is actually pretty interesting because it's, if he's better than Musgrave, he's probably a starting tight end and there's not a ton of wide receiver competition on that team outside of Christian Watson, but even he's like, you know, not who knows what we have there for sure. Like there could be a lot of, a lot of targets for a tight end in green Bay. If one of them is clearly better than the other. A few things that go to me there. One, no matter how much of a degenerate I try and be, I like it always strikes me how someone like you, who's like uh, literally actually in the industry instead of that throwaway phrase we use on Twitter, um, are so <laughs> much more aware of things. Like I, I knew Musgrave in the extent that I knew he didn't do enough that I could have an opinion. Like there's, there's just no data. And that's what I realized. <laughs> like, okay, I, he was on a, on a team. I know that much. Um, but Tucker Craft, I honestly hadn't considered, so it's interesting to hear what you have to say about him. Zach Kuntz, who tra- transferred to a lower conference just to get his receiving yep. profile in there. I mean, he, he's okay in sized. Um, I like Josh Weil. Speaking of yards after catch, mm. it's something I started to go looking for at tight end just because you look, are looking for that guy that's got the difference-making thing. And that's something Kittle had in his profile, and so I went looking for it, and, and, and Weil stood out a little bit. But like I say, he's not even being drafted. According to the DLF rankers right now, so I'm probably pretty off on that. Um, something else. Uh, well, yeah. I, I would say oh, yeah, you, the, the thing with tight end is that we're bad at predicting it. So I, yeah. I think if you have a guy you like, it they're great. They're great to take late stabs on. So like everything you know, of value, right? Yeah, Josh Josh Wiles a fifth round pick. George Kittle was a fifth round pick. Yeah. I don't I don't think draft capital matters as much at tight end because it's not always clear like what teams are even drafting these guys for. Luckily, I think this year they're drafting the top guys to catch passes. Right. Um, or at least that's a big part of what it is. But you know, sometimes they ca- they draft these guys and it's like they're they're just gonna be blocking a bunch. So no, yeah. No, I think that's right. Uh, one of the things that always interests me is like tight end models hit harder when you're looking at R squared score, especially if you include draft capital, because it works so much better because there are so few of them that do anything. But mm-hmm. if you're actually looking just running through the names, you're like, it does, it works worse. Actually, we're probably worse at it. Draft capital is probably yeah. less relevant because, again, like uh, top. Uh, um, round one tight ends are much more likely to have a top 12 season, but that's not really what you're looking for. And then you go right. looking at the top and it's Kelsey and it's Gronk and it's uh, it's Graham and none of them are first round picks. And you're like, something's not... R squared doesn't tell the full story sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, but Sorry, that excited me. No, you're exactly much. right. I mean, Hayden Hurst, was, Hayden Hurst was drafted by the Ravens ahead of Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. And Andrews had <laughs> such a better profile. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then they go and, get Andrews in the third. Like, I, I think you, if you're going to be taking stabs at tight end, uh, you know, it's probably better in these tight end premium leagues to be gambling on these tight ends rather than like these late, late wide receivers because the payoffs very much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And we're probably, there's a better chance of the payoff happening. So, 
No, I was looking from every angle. Tight end gets interesting, not in the way that it's been traditionally sought after. I don't think, but uh, things like I was looking at league winners or players that score more points than you'd expect based on their draft capital. So just based on you know a regular startup outside the top ten rounds, kind of just hit tight end up a lot because more tight ends do that. Even if it's just an Eric Ebron one off or something like you're getting more points than you should from tight end mm-hmm. ADP more often. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm getting on the weeds there. What I was gonna segue into something someone else might be interested in instead of my little uh, is uh, Green Bay. Jordan Love, not a fan. I don't expect a lot, but they have drafted. They seem to be trying to some extent more than they have done before to add pass catches that will help them out, especially at, at tight end. Frankly, you know, uh, safety blankets for a tight end who hasn't started fully in the league yet. Uh, it's an old narrative, but one that probably works sometimes. And um, what are your expectations for Green Bay or Jordan Love? Is it a big buy? Is it a big sell? Do you have any th- insight that just a outsider like myself wouldn't have? Well, I did take, thoughts? I took some, I took some Jordan Love in super flex leagues uh, years back, and not enough Jalen Hurts. So I'm, fi- oh, I'm finally sorry. getting even. I'm finally getting even. Finally getting even. I, I don't have much, uh, much hope for him. Um, as like you know anything other than a guy who's going to hold down uh, a starting job for the whole year and probably could be for next bridge, year. Right. Yeah. He's kind of a bridge guy. And I think right now is probably not the right time to try to trade him because people right. are kind of looking at him. Like, I know what you're doing. I know you're just trying to trade. Up <laughs> but I think people will forget as soon as they actually see him play and he scores, you know, a decent amount of points. And then it's like, well, he's starting like the whole rest of the year and I could use the quarterback help. Like after I remember like after Daniel Jones rookie season, people were like, I'm, they just like threw out, you know, what they had thought about him, you know, like he's a terrible prospect. Giants are idiots. And then it's like, oh, he runs more than I thought I'm in, you know, and I think <laughs> you could you could get that with Jordan Love. If he just like runs around a little bit and doesn't look terrible, I think you're going to get a sell window on him mid season, you know, maybe late season, depending on how long he can hold up without looking too gross um and that, that's probably i would be exiting i think on that I'm, i don't have a, a ton of hopes uh for jordan love but in like best ball and stuff i i'm mixing him in i i'm not completely out on his odds of doing something this year um and in part i'm really encouraged by the job security you know you don't have to like right. you want to bet on a sam howell that's a little yeah. bit of a riskier bet you know that could be he could be uh, holding the clipboard while Jacoby resets out there pretty early on, that, mm-hmm. and Love just doesn't have that kind of downside risk. It's interesting. Um, I will, I think of uh, your example is better, obviously as always. But I, I think of like Jared Goff. Like once that trade happened, Jared Goff was dead. But now he's like, oh, he's that guy who you know he's going to have a job, and you know, right. And that happens at quarterback a lot. And you're right. Another good point in Dynasty is you've got to think about that psychology that right now, if you try and trade him, people are going to be like, ah, no, no, I see what you're doing. And later down the line, he's just a starting quarterback and people remember that sometimes they need those things. Um, It's funny how people forget. I I had a guy in in our uh, the legendary upside discord. uh, Mm. Someone was saying, you know, what do I do with Bijan versus Anthony Richardson? I want to take um, I really want to just take Anthony Richardson because I, I want a quarterback and I don't think I can get a quarterback for Bijan. And um, I was kind of making the point. Um, well, you know, you 
don't have to do it right this second. You can take Bijan <laughs> and, <laughs> and trade him later. Yeah, and trade him later. And Bijan, I think, has the potential to go up in value from now until August. You know, I know. You forget. I'm sorry, that, carry on. You say it. Well, it's just <laughs> the people. People right now they want to build. They want to build a team that the trade calculator loves. You know, give me all the right, right. all the value, all the all the sexy names, and then in in August, it's who's my running back to? <laughs> you know, and, then, <laughs> and everyone builds for for a redraft. And if you can anticipate yeah. that, I just go, yeah, I'll, you, sure. You you're not interested in my incredible running back right now for your quarterback, but you will be. Don't worry, you'll be back. And I won't even bring it up. I won't even bring it up. No, um, no <laughs> timing is everything. And I see a lot of people trying to trade the one-on-one because that's solid advice. I know there's a lot of people saying it right now. Like, this much value, how can he go up? Well, one, you're also forgetting exactly how exciting it is to see a Saquon Barkley year one or a Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey when he proved to be what he is. Like, we have – it's been a minute. Uh, Brees Hall got injured. Uh, Ken Walker was – Ken Walker and great and fun to watch, but it's been a minute since we had a running back to be that excited by. I don't care if he's a one-on-one in a startup, the hype on Bajon Robinson can build once we start to see him play, like you say, in season when he's scoring points. So if you can't do it, don't trade it just because it's a good idea right now. Like if you can't get the moon, wait, uh, the, the moon, the moons are coming and not like a, not like a B level moon, not like Tatooine, like, like a really good yeah. moon. You know what I mean? Sorry, yeah, I, Dak Fleck, uh, Dak Prescott was quoted. He's like, I can well, get Dak for the 101. I was like, don't, don't no, take wait. Dak for the 101 <laughs> this year, please. Um, <laughs> sorry, I already went off the point there. I, I might have meant to make 30 minutes content, but obviously you've got so much to, uh, that, that can help us. I just keep finding other things to say. I don't even feel like we've gotten to the meat of this draft. I'm doing a terrible job as usual. Like, I think Gibbs, <laughs> speaking of running back, is a big question this year. Like, do you take him over JSN? Do you take him over Addison? I, I still want JSN over Gibbs. I think I saw people be disappointed with Swift being good for three years, and I think we're going to say the same thing with Gibbs. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be good. I don't think... Uh, they, he he he's going to be what people think his upside might be, um, if that makes sense. I don't even know at this point. Uh, where are you at? Do you take him over JSN? Do you take him over one of the quarterbacks, which we haven't even got to yet? Uh, yeah, I have Gibbs fourth and JSN fifth and Stroud okay. sixth. So uh, I have Ooh. I have Richardson and Young ahead of him, and obviously Bijan. But um, yeah, I've got him ahead of JSN. For me, it's it's that um, it's the trade value argument. I'm I'm kind of swayed yep. by that with with Jameer Gibbs, um, Jacob Sanderson on on the pot I was on with him was kind of making that case. I did push back a little bit because I, you know, you talked about knowing yourself earlier, and mm. Gibbs strikes me as the type of guy who's gonna. It's easier said than done to trade off of him because I don't yeah. think we're getting some massive year one breakout from Jameer Gibbs. Right? They're gonna no. play David gonna Montgomery enough. He'll be good. He'll but, be good. CMC was good, but CMC yes. wasn't CMC until his second year. That's when he had yeah, the explosion. True. So you're are you really gonna trade off Jameer Gibbs after he flashes as a rookie? I don't think you are. Not if you took him where where you know you have to take him. I think you're are holding on. That's how but I that I still think I'm taking him. I'm making peace with that a little bit and going, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> this is a, probably what? a two-year bet, but his upside as a receiver is so high. I, it's hard for me to pass. Well, if you know the bet, and honestly, I want JSN, but I don't. I don't think it's wrong. He's going to be good. He's going to produce. He's going to be a running back when there are so few that we're even excited about, especially that mm-hmm. young. 
um, with draft capital and uh, more draft capital than DeAndre Swift even. So I get it um, for sure. And and honestly, JSN's landing spot was a little rough. Um, it's not that it doesn't change who I think uh, JSN is. It makes me sad for even more devaluation of Tyler Lockett, but <laughs> I think JSN's going to be pretty good even uh, in that situation. But to your point about this class, I expect less production this year from a rookie class and JSN's probably case in point on that. Um, yep. Did the landing spot affect you greatly? Like, if you'd gone to the Colts, would it be closer with Gibbs and um, JSN, or is it purely running back, know your market, and we know running backs produce more year one? Yeah, I think if he had landed in a really great situation, um, maybe I would have him still ahead of Gibbs. I like JSN a lot as a prospect. It. He did also fall a little bit in the draft from where we thought he would touch. You know? yeah. A touch, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't anything dramatic. He's still the first. I didn't think he'd get him. past New England, and he did. Yeah, <laughs> if he fell, I didn't think he'd get past there. Green Bay was one that I thought you know mm-hmm. they might be angling for him. Um, and so it's just that wasn't great because one of the things with JSN is that you know I my point on him was look he's 196 pounds. He's not like destined to be a slot receiver the way i think josh downs is who's 171 oh yeah are you really playing on the outside if you're josh downs very unlikely but jsn i think can play on the outside and my part of the reason i felt good about saying that is that i felt like he was going to go in the first round potentially early in the first round and any team drafting him with that kind of capital was not going to just pigeonhole him as a slot receiver I think it's sort of a little bit of a mixed bag with Seattle. I don't think he gets pigeonholes as a slot receiver there, partly because they don't run a lot of three wide receiver sets. <laughs> so he's going to eventually, once Lockett's gone, you know, maybe a year or two from now, he's going to be playing on the outside. He's going to be running all the routes. That's great news. But in the meantime, I don't think he's going to have a full slate of routes. And I think he is going to be mostly from the slot. And so it could be a little bit of a slow burn for him. So if, well, yeah, I think if he was receivers, sorry. If he was in position to run all the routes as a rookie, it would just be easier to to get in, you know, to have him ahead of ahead of Gibbs. But I'm still, I still have him ahead of Stroud. I'm still pretty excited about him. I think that's a fair point. There's a case where you take Gibbs, and then while it might be difficult to trade him, like this time next year, JSN had a fine rookie year, and Gibbs was pretty decent. He flashed, and he's running back, mm-hmm. and he's young, and you can even trade into him next year with a plus. I mean, the, the, there's a decent case for. Gibbs being worth relatively uh, more than JSN this time next year, even with reasonable and high expectations for him. Um, well, where, <laughs> where? Let me ask you about somewhere. where are you at on on Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, that that group? Because I, I do you view it as kind of that clear top six, and then the next group. Yeah, um, I think Addison's slightly different. Like I had mm. Addison borderline close to JSN, and. <laughs> I was really hoping that, as we always do, the draft sorts things out. And instead, it just asks more questions because they're all yeah. drafted back yeah. to back to back. And so not enough was different that I changed a lot. So I like Addison a lot more than Quinton Johnson. Well, not relatively a lot more. I like Quinton Johnson. And Zay Flowers is really interesting, although I don't think his production stands out quite as well. But I definitely don't doubt it based on the film grinders that are pumping out his skill set and stuff. I, he was good enough production-wise that I'll believe it. And I don't mind his landing spot, though I am a big fan of Bateman. But yeah, for me, um, Addison and Gibbs is a big decision because I want JSN. But you're right, Gibbs and JSN, that's an interesting flip. Um, 
and then Addison. I want Addison really strongly um, just below Gibbs. And then it's Quentin Johnson, say Flowers, and a, kind of a tear to themselves. But you have the you have Sorry, all three quarterbacks ahead of those guys? Yeah, yeah, uh, just because I'm a Carolina dynasty player and I don't like risk. And <laughs> just, I'm like, they're quarterbacks. People will remember eventually I'm taking them. Um, I was yeah. going to ask you, you had Stroud below them, not Young uh, or Richardson. And I understand the Richardson thing. I don't want to make the bet because, again, I'm cowardly. Like, there's a lot of risk in that pick. He didn't pass enough that I'm going to say he can't. But he didn't pass, so I don't know that he can. And yeah, the argument on every podcast everywhere uh, continues. So I just kind of want out the decision. But I had Stroud over Young, even though I don't have much of a quarterback process. It's just like draft the good ones, trade into the good ones, wait to see who are the good ones is pretty much my process. But I ran a quick little model just to come up with an order. And like Stroud is younger um, had better QBR ratings, was slightly less accurate, but was still accurate like uh, well and uh, above um, what we need to consider them a top-level prospect. It's just that Young was more accurate. Um, and yet I keep hearing, like, everyone's very firmly Young over Stroud. And I don't, again, I'm not going to argue. I don't have a good quarterback process. I'll agree. And I always like betting on the small guys because combine sucks and so do physical metrics. I don't weight them at all. So I want to be in on Young. And I am. But why is it so heavily young over Stroud or Stroud below even the, you know, uh, Gibbs and JSN tier for you? Yeah, I kind of like this is a take I would like almost want to be on a limb out on a limb more on. I like okay. now that everyone seems <laughs> yeah. to be like in agreement. I'm just like, well, then maybe. maybe don't you remember scooping... you hate Kyler Murray because he's short? Come on. don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe scooping discounted Stroud, who was the number two pick, is the move. It's um, kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah which is always I think betting against the market's ability to evaluate quarterbacks is, has generally been a pretty sound strategy. That's how you get cheap Herbert. That's how you get cheap Daniel right. Jones, even though like I don't even think Daniel Jones is good, but he's been a pretty massive hit from where you took him in rookie drafts. Um, you know, you, you will you will land with Zach Wilson if you if you don't trust the market's ability to evaluate quarterbacks. So you'll have to eat those losses. But um, Stroud, yeah, I think. The reason that I'm not as excited about Bryce Young or about CJ Stroud compared to Bryce Young is that um, one, I think Bryce Young is like a little bit more of a uh, under pressure type of creator. Stroud was not very good under pressure. Bryce Young was was pretty good under pressure, um, and neither guy is a particularly like neither like I guess Stroud's got kind of the better arm. Uh, Young doesn't have like an incredible arm, but he's, I think, a, a bit more of like a playmaker. He scrambled more as well, um, which is not necessarily a sign that he's going to be a rusher. He's a tiny man. But I think uh, based on some of the work that Kevin Cole has done, showing that scrambling looks to be like a trait. It's something that carries over hmm. from college to the NFL. And so the, the decision to, you know, take off and, and create with your legs I think maybe in Young's case, it'll translate to escaping the pocket and looking to throw downfield. But it's kind of that, you know, he's not going to be throwing the ball away as much. He's going to be like making things happen, I think, a little bit more. And Stroud didn't run at all. I know he obviously showed against Georgia that he can run. Um, he said that he wants to run more, but he didn't really scramble. And so it's not just like he wasn't called. There weren't any called runs for him. He didn't show really any willingness to run in college 
I guess you can change that. But in Houston, they're going to have a Shanahan style system. I would imagine they have a lot of short stuff schemed up, a lot of get the ball out quickly stuff. I mean, they, hmm. you know, these, these are the guys who were handling Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Brock Purdy. Like, this is not an offense that necessarily calls on the quarterback to run a ton. Um, certainly, you know, Lance would be running a ton if he had stayed healthy, but Stroud isn't Lance. Stroud is more kind of the distributor, you know, people have uh, compared him to like Kirk Cousins and stuff. So he just seems like he's going to be kind of an, a, a pretty skilled operator of an offense. I'm calling him a game manager, I guess, uh, okay. but I, he runs enough. He but runs trying to enough. find a nicer term. Right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> he, he runs enough to where he could really make me eat those words. Um, or sorry, he doesn't run enough, but he could run enough. And he's he looks capable enough at it to where that could look really dumb. So getting getting him at six, I think, is is awesome. You, you shouldn't be able to get the number two overall pick at six in a rookie draft. So um, even though that's where I have him ranked, I think it's still pretty sweet to get him there. That's fair. Um, so many questions. I want I'll, If you can stand it, uh, I was going to say first, Kevin knows what he's talking about, so I'll agree with that uh, just entirely. <laughs> he's always a good person to listen to when it comes to uh, kind of front edge ways of looking at analytics mm, and metrics. For sure. And quarterbacks so rough. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to pay attention to that. Um. I'm having a bit of a disagreement, I guess, not in a friendly way, with my fellow DLF rankers. They've all got, like, Zach Charbonnet ahead of, like, Devin A. Chain. And like we said, the draft capital is rough, and Zach Charbonnet is a really good prospect on a good team that loves to run. So I understand it. But um, for me, like, Devin A. Chain seems like the bet. Talking about upside and knowing yourself, or knowing you, knowing yourself, I sound like I'm a philosophy podcast now, um, <laughs> knowing your league mates and stuff, like, I think he's got a clearer path to doing something in year one. Rookie running backs do more stuff in year one. Uh, and that's the the late first round running back. <laughs> that has been the, de- the devastation of so many dynasty draft classes that stands out to me. Um, do you have a lot of expectation that uh, Zach Charbonnet is going to do stuff with Kenneth Walker. Um, even in a committee, I assume the majority of it is going to be Walker. Um, even if that Charbonnet is somewhat more of a pass. I mean, he's a pass catcher. We could expect him to have that in his skill set. But he wasn't a Jameer Gibbs. He wasn't DeAndre Swift. He no, wasn't a featured no. weapon. Um, so what do you think about this clump of running backs outside of these top uh, go-get-them type prospects, even if it's Stroud at six because of the value? So I uh, did have Charbonnet first among this, you know, uh, RB3 tier plus. Um, but the Dynasty Mailbag pod that I've talked about a couple of times during that podcast, I, I raced a chain ahead of, of yeah, Charbonnet. Right. So I, I, listened, I listened to reason. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think a Chain's pretty exciting. Um, the Elijah Mitchell was a guy that came to mind is a, you know, potential oh, comp. He's, he's much, he's like, even he is much bigger than uh, <laughs> a chain. Um, and Davis Maddock was pointing out that like Elijah Mitchell had handled like a huge workload at one point in his rookie season. Um, but a chain had carried the ball a ton in his final season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, despite his size, he actually has shown the ability to handle a decent workload. I don't expect that he will ever be anything close to a workhorse, but uh, there, you know, that is a system where they're going to be generating explosive plays mm. and they are going to have a rotation, 
but he's someone that I think, you know, you can just feel pretty good about having like in your lineup. Some weeks it's not going to be great. Some weeks it'll be pretty nice. Maybe, maybe a Tevin Coleman, you know, which isn't maybe the most exciting thing. <laughs> doesn't but, sound great, but yeah. Doesn't sound great, right. but this class is not very good after the top two backs. I have Charbonnet one spot behind A-Chain. I'm still somewhat optimistic on Charbonnet because he was a second-round pick selected by a coach who loves to run the ball. That That's good. That's and, yeah, I know Kenneth Walker's there, but Kenneth Walker was second lowest in the NFL in success rate last year. He was quite good in rush yards over expected uh, per attempt, which is you know kind of the the profile that he is. I mean, if you if you watch him, those those metrics make intuitive sense. He you know is getting stuffed at the line a lot, and then he rips off huge home runs. He's plays. a home run hitter, right? Yeah, he's explosive. In fact, Charbonnet's a solid solid running back who's going to churn out yards between the. Uh, I don't know. I've run out of NFL. No, hundred percent. A lot. hundred <laughs> percent. But, but this is the team that was starting Chris Carson for years and years. Like, I don't think it's right. crazy that Charbonnet, they're just like, we trust this guy, you know, pretty quickly. So I think he can work his way into like a split. You know, I don't think that's, I think it would be crazy if Zach Charbonnet running back, they took in the second round had like 55% of the snaps over Kenneth Walker, a running back who they took in the second round. Like I, I why is if why it is wasn't Seattle, I might say yes, but it's Seattle. <laughs> I mean, uh, if nothing, they've uh, they've put effort into working in to being the team that will go with the guy instead of the draft capital, and I kind of respect that. Uh, so, no, I, yeah. I actually think it's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I think we we all like Kenneth Walker. He's really fun, but Kenneth Walker is the type of running back who we tend to like more than the NFL tends to like. You know, the, the oh, boom bust explosive guys. It's like, just keep running him until the good thing happens. And a lot of coaches <laughs> don't like doing that. They're like, I would like to get my four yards that I asked for. And I got two. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they do like to get what they asked for, I guess. That's a really good point. Um, anyone else standing out in that cadre? Because you've got Kendrell Miller, who's much more of a rusher to, mm-hmm. to the same point. Who I, I don't like. I don't like. I don't look for the. I look for receiving profiles more than anything. But I, I can't deny that he's capable, and he went to the right spot with something of draft capital. And then you've got Roshan Johnson, who's got all the upside in the metrics, but you know, again, was stuck behind Bajon Robinson. Um. So yeah, any of those guys standing out as a clear third option? I have Miller as uh, my RB five, okay. but it is kind of landing spot um, based. Um, I'm kind of overriding what the what my models telling me, which is which is to put Tajay Spears higher. Which oh, I'm like, I, you don't know what you're talking about. You like DeAndre Washington <laughs> model. You've got model. a blind spot. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you like these little pass pitchers. This is Duke Johnson all over again. But like, I don't know. Spears is Spears is got a pretty interesting profile, and he goes yeah. where he's going to be the clear handcuff to uh, Derrick Henry, who's getting older. The team's going to be probably terrible. I'm going to have to pass a bunch. You know, Levis, I don't think is very good. He might have to check down. Um, I don't know. This might be a pretty different tight, different Titans team. And I know we all got burned by Darrington Evans. And, you know, Derrick Henry is the only Titans running back that we ever want to touch. But they don't have Dontrell Hilliard anymore, which I which I actually had to Google after the draft. I was like, oh, but Dontrell Hilliard's there. And it's like, no, he's not. So that role's open right now. And mm. if Henry goes down... Even if Henry misses like three games, I mean, Spears is going to be pretty valuable. 
So, you know, that, that kind of spot starter is, you know, not the best way to, you know, you're not the most excited to spend like a, a late second round pick on that type of guy. But I mean, I have him ranked 22 in my super flex tight end premium ranks. And it does strike me that, Hey, what if he's, you know, kind of a, like a one a type of dude. What if we get the Michael Carter rookie season in Tajay Spears second season is, is essentially mm. what I'm saying. I don't know that it'll ever become anything long-term, but you might get some pretty solid production out of him. His profile is actually pretty good. I think he's a better prospect than Michael Carter was. He, he looks a little bit more explosive. Um, yeah, again, uh, it seems like a weaker class. Everyone seems pretty set on that. And yet there are so many guys who are worth the shot in the early, mm-hmm. the late first, the early second. I think it's a really interesting class. And we're going to get a lot of uh, at least value changes from it. So that makes it interesting in Dynasty. But I just realized most of my questions have boiled down to secretly asking your ranks out of order. So <laughs> I want to point out your ranks are available on your website, right? You, everyone can just go there and check them out. They are. Yeah, <laughs> legendaryupside.com. Uh, I'll say I'm offering a thirty dollar discount right now. If you go to legendary.com, legendaryupside.com slash early, you can get thirty dollars off your first year. Um, if you are playing best ball, uh, you will also get a fifty dollar underdog credit. Um, nice. So pretty nice time if you are going to sign up to do it now. And yeah, my superflex tight end premium rankings are up. Uh, they're they're right there on the front page. Thank you very much. Um, I, I do love a discount. And to be fair, like we don't do a lot of promos around here, but those are actually ranks that I'd want to check out. So I'm glad you were able to drop it and give us some discounts on them, to be honest with you. Um, but I don't want to keep it any much longer at all because I've already taken up way too much of your time and this is not going to be a 30-minute podcast. So I'm breaking all my own rules, frankly. <laughs> um, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to kind of get out of here on this question I've been trying to ask in different ways, but it's kind of not one you might have an answer for the top of your head because it's it's like the give me the secret all in one simple answer and it doesn't exist really and um, but is there something that uh dynasty drafters should know that other people might be underrating for the 2023 season specifically is there a player that you've identified that is a strong target or just an expectation for the season you think you have than not as many people are aware of such as lower rookie production and therefore do x um is there anything like that occurring to you like looking because now with drafts done we've got our focus set on 2023 so what do you think you've highlighted or is there anything you think you've highlighted um that might help people in the dynasty leagues well it does strike me that we're entering a period of potentially like major shakeup at the running back position which the running back position is always a bit of you know a chaotic position and you can use that to your advantage in various ways but um, you know, if you look at just redraft ADP right now, uh, Christian McCaffrey could be his last year of any real, like he's got still has a ton of dynasty value that could really change after this year. Um, like even Jonathan Taylor, if he doesn't catch any passes at all in the scene, kind of as a two down guy, that would be a major blow to his value. Austin Eckler, very likely his last year with the chargers. If he even is on the chargers this year, he's, he's getting up there in age. Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, it's got this issue where is he going to sign the franchise tag? Running backs generally have their best production in their rookie years or the rookie contract years, I mean. Um, and he's, uh, you know, going to be entering year six next year. Nick Chubb, you know, he came in with a really bad knee injury. Luckily, nothing has, has materialized with that. But he's also now kind of getting up there in his NFL experience. Uh, Tony Pollard is on the franchise tag. 
Brees Hall's coming off a serious knee injury. Derrick Henry's really old. Josh Jacobs on the franchise tag. Ramondre Stevenson, there were rumors that they would have gone after B. John Robinson if he was there. His job security might not be there. Travis Etienne, they just drafted. Tank Bigsby, you know, so he could be kind of a committee guy. Kenneth Walker just got turned into a committee guy. Najee Harris stinks. I mean, there's everybody, everybody's got great major issues. So I, I think like if you're if you're sitting there with you know oh do I take Bijan Robinson yeah take Bijan Robinson he's the only running back anyone's gonna want next year <laughs> take Bijan and I would say take Gibbs you know because Gibbs has got that same you know that landscape could could really change Aaron Jones is the next guy behind Gibbs Miles Sanders I mean he could have no value Dalvin Cook could have no value like there could be it could be like rookie running backs coming in next year. And like Gibbs and Bijan, and you know, obviously not every running back is going to go to dust, but a, a couple other guys. But it could be a tough year to be invested in these running backs. I think if you're a team that has an extra running back, you're like my RB two is awesome. Well, maybe it, maybe it shouldn't be. <laughs> maybe trade out of that. Maybe get that excess value to somewhere else on your team, and try to mine that value, you know, on the waiver wire or through trades throughout the season, and you know, kind of survive, I think, this wave that's about to hit the running back position. It could it could sweep a lot of value out of dynasty teams. I want to thank you again for coming on with my tiny little podcast, considering how busy you are at winning best ball tournaments and everything. Um, where can people find you? Where else, other than your website, is there anywhere else they can find you? Yeah, Ship Chasing uh, every Wednesdays at 9.15. Um, and I've got you know, the the stuff at Legendary Upside, uh, a lot of it's behind a paywall. There's some good free stuff there, though, as well. So if you just want to sign up and get on the free list, um, I've had some good articles uh, that I put out for free throughout. And I've also done some big stuff above the paywall, like, you know, my rookie uh, articles, basically the entire profile of the top guy in the articles uh, available for, for free. And then I have uh, the Legendary Upside podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcast. So uh, lots of lots of good content for everybody. Thanks, Pat. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. Shit got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.